Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. <laughs> there we go. So we are uh, in our series through First Peter. We're talking about re- being recruited out of our mess to make him known. And so I'm excited to be sharing the word with you this morning. Uh, my name is Dan. If you don't know me, I'm a Life Group's pastor here. And as a Life Group's pastor, uh, I've had on my radar the fact that we are closing out our life group season, uh, our current one. This is the final week of our life group season, so we are in the home stretch of this life group time, and that will uh, make sense here in a minute why I use the word home stretch. But uh, I'm excited to share with you, I think, what Peter's got for us in this passage in chapter 4 as as a, a way to help us understand a sense of urgency that God has called us into. And so I wanted to take a quick review down memory lane. So uh, a memory for those of you that have been around, and if you're new, then this will get you caught up, so to speak, to where we've been. So we've been talking about being recruited out of our mess uh, to live in hope. That was our first week. We talked about living to be holy and then to be his people. We've talked about being recruited uh, recruited to make him known with godlike conduct, under all authority, God gives authorities in the world that we are to live under, um, ultimately under his authority, with God-like conduct at work, in our workplace, um, co-workers, and, and as an employee to an employer, in our marriages, at a home. So we want to live with God-like conduct in that way. And all of these things, uh, in, in all these ways, we make him known to the world. Also, we make him known to everyone, including the difficult um, not everyone is easy to love, and uh, each one of us is difficult to love at times as well. Uh, but Jesus loves, loves us and has shown that to us, and so we reciprocate. We, we model our actions after his. Recruited to make him known to everyone despite suffering. Ryan talked through um, some suffering last week and what it means that when we make Jesus known to the world, oftentimes we encounter suffering. And we're going to get another dose of living and suffering next week. Uh, but today, we're going to talk about re- being recruited to make him known with urgency through God's family. And so, with that, I wanted to invite um, a friend of mine, Rachel, up to uh, have a little chat. So, as I was thinking about this passage and this idea of being in the home stretch, let's see if we can get a mic for you. I don't know. Let me get that one. There we go. Cool. So if, if, if you don't know Rachel, um, Rachel Johnson is uh, one of the leaders in our church, and so um, she's married to Pastor Luke, wherever he's at, in the back. But uh, I invited Rachel up because uh, one thing I know about her is that she's a runner, right? So yes, she's a runner. I got that right. Um, so I just wanted to ask you, so how long have you been running? Um, since high school, I would run a mile or two just for fitness. And then about two and a half years ago, I started doing, uh, distance running. Okay. So you're doing distance running. Do you do like competitions or yeah, races. races? Yeah. yeah. I don't okay. know if I'm competitive, but I participate. Participate. <laughs> All right. That's good. So what is your training process like? Uh, throughout the week, I try to do three to four runs, different kinds of runs, a short distance, an interval, some hills if I'm feeling brave, and then a distance run at some point. Okay. So what is your mindset like at the beginning of a race and kind of in the middle 
of the race? Uh, the beginning is just excited, nervous, ready to go, jumping up and down. Usually I talk a lot before a race. Um, and during the middle of the race, just thinking, okay, this is what I trained for. I can do this. I've done this before. I trained for this. It's ten times easier to do it with a friend or my mom. So much, <laughs> so much more fun to run with someone who can remind you, yeah, we can do this. We've done this before. This is fun. Yeah. Uh, not that your friend's not your mom, though, right? Friend and friend mom. Yeah. Okay. All right. So how? So when you're in the middle of the race, you use headphones or anything to keep your mind not if I'm running with a friend. Then we just talk. Then you just Visit. talk. Yeah. Okay. So when you get to the end of the race, how does your mindset change when you know that the end is coming up? Usually about five miles. Well, depending on the distance of the race, but like a marathon, the last five miles, I'm thinking five miles. I can do five miles. I do five miles every day. That's easy. Three miles. I can do three miles. That's an easy day. And then by the time I see the finish line, then it's like, ah, oh, there it is, and just sprint or race whoever I'm running with. Are you talking at that point? Um, less Much? as the race goes on. <laughs> less talking as the yes. race goes on. Good. So, um, yeah, so it seems like maybe your mind, your, your, your focus narrows. Yeah, especially by the time you see the finish line, then it's just like that's all you're looking at. And it's amazing the energy burst you can have right then. Yeah. What motivates you to finish strong like that? racing someone then you want to beat them and ah, that's fun. <laughs> winning yeah there's a goal okay that's good thank you thank you rachel give her a hand good so i just wanted to to talk with her a little bit in front of you guys to, to give you a picture of what it is you know we talk about athletics or you know racing to the finish line um it can also be uh, in your workplace maybe you have a project or a deadline if you play other kind of sports, maybe you're in the final quarter. In football, you call it the two-minute drill, right, where there's, like, no huddle or you're just all in. Everybody's focused on the goal at hand. There's no distractions that are going to let you veer off. So as we think about what it is to be living with urgency through God's family, I um, wanted to ask this question as kind of lead into our, our talk this morning. What sense of urgency should we have for making Jesus known in the world? That's what we've been called to. We know that uh, Jesus is rec- or God has recruited us for that purpose. So the talk today, I titled Home Stretch Committed, to capture that idea that when you're on, in the home stretch, you have a mindset. You are committed in a unique way that maybe you're not committed early on. Early in the race, you know, she's chatting it up. She's still running hard. She's doing what she knows she needs to do. Um, but it's a little bit different when you get to the end and you know the end is near. You want to put all the rest of what you have to give. And so your mind narrows, your focus narrows, and, and uh, you're committed in that home stretch. So big idea today. We are in the home stretch, so it's time to be all in with God's family. So uh, let's go ahead and uh, read the passage. We're in chapter 4, verses 7 through 11. So if you want to find that in your Bible or your app, or you can also follow along on the screen. That's all right. The end of all things is near. Therefore, be alert and sober-minded for prayer. Above all, maintain constant love for one another, since love covers a multitude of sins. Be hospitable to one another without complaining. Just as each one has received a gift, use it to serve others as good stewards of the varied grace of God. If anyone speaks, let it be as one who speaks God's words. If anyone serves, let it be from the strength God provides, so that God may be glorified through Jesus Christ in everything. To him be the glory 
and the power forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray. Our God, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you for recruiting us out of our mess to make you known. We thank you for showing us the way through Jesus, for giving us uh, opportunity to uh, have a relationship with you. We thank you that you pulled us out of darkness and into your marvelous light. Lord, we ask this morning that you would uh, pierce our heart with your word, or that you would guide us to a, a newer understanding or a deeper understanding of how we can live for you in such a way that your name will be made great in the world today. Lord, help us to understand how we can interact in the church, in this family of God, in a way that honors and glorifies you. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. So we are home stretch committed. That's the goal here. We're going to work towards that. First, I wanted to do a quick review of our theme verse. Uh, but we're here in this first section. We're talking about being recruited into God's family down the home stretch. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation a people for his possession, so that you may proclaim the praises of the one who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. So I just wanted to start there, remind us that we are God's people. We are chosen by him for a purpose, that we could proclaim his praises. And so I want to set that as the foundation, that God recruited us to make him known. Okay. We start into our passage here, verse 7, the first part of that. says, the end of all things is near. And so my passage this morning, or what we're covering this morning, is only about five verses, right? Ryan went through a lot more last week, but the benefit of having just five verses to cover is you can throw it all on the screen at once, and it's still fairly readable. And I think this is helpful in this case, actually, because we can take a look at a couple of bookends I I see in this passage. Uh, So at the beginning, Peter writes, the end of all things is near. And at the end, you see him write, To him be the glory and power forever and ever. Amen. So there's an, uh, these uh, two ideas. One of the end of something coming, but then the other idea is a forever God is in play, is involved. And so we have, uh, I think that helps our perspective. There's a passage in Romans that Paul writes to the, to the church there that helps us as well, I think. So let's read that. It's Romans 13, 11, 12. It is already the hour for you to wake up from sleep, because now our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. The night is nearly over, and the day is near. So let us discard the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. And the passage Ryan taught through last week, we talked about putting away the the ways of the world, the ways of the Gentiles, that it's time to to live like you've been called into his marvelous light. And uh, and I like this... uh, uh, the two, the night and the day imagery here, because I think it helps us understand what the end is about and what the day is about. So as we are in this world, it is a dark world still. There's still sin, and we know that the light has come in Jesus, but has not fully eradicated sin. And so we are living in kind of a mixed world, and that is like the night. We are in the night, and it's coming to an end, but at the end of night is not nothingness, as some people would want to think. But at the end of night comes a new day, right? And we look forward to that new day, and that's the hope for which we wait for Jesus to come back. And uh, that also creates this sense of urgency, I think. And so 
just wanted to put that out there to help us understand this idea that the end is near and what that means. Uh, so the second piece to this is that we, we need a true sense of urgency about how we live in God's family. As we're talking about, a true sense of urgency. Now, there's a few different kinds of urgency. Um, uh, as I was researching, you know, in the business world or just the world in general, the first phase is complacency. So we're all really good at that, right? I guess you're not very good at that. I'm good at that. I remember when I was growing up, my brother uh, was running a race. Just He was probably early elementary school, and he was running a race through a park. It's probably like a mile or a mile and a half uh, in Bend, Oregon, where we lived. And about halfway through the race, um, where we were at, we could see him, and he was like way ahead of everybody. He was winning the race, doing a great job. And if you knew my brother, his name is Chad. He's, uh, he became a Marine, and like in boot camp, he was top of his PT. He was beating everybody in in the running, in the pull-ups, in the, and so, like, he got that side, and I didn't, but, um, but I could still beat him up, right, yeah, anyway, so, so he's a good athlete, even from back then, he's running the race, he's winning, so we get in a position where we can kind of see that home stretch, so we can see him finish, and we're waiting for him to come, come around that last turn, and a couple other kids come, and then some other kids come, and we're not seeing Chad, and so my mom goes down around the corner to see if she can find him. And he's, she found him sitting by a tree. And so she runs over and asks if he's doing all right. Did something happen? And he says, oh, no, I'm just tired. I mean, he got tired, so he stopped running. So for him, there was not a sense of urgency about the race. There wasn't a, a goal to finish or win. He just ran until he got tired, and he stopped. I think sometimes that's like us. We... We care a lot about how we feel about the situation. Are we comfortable? Uh, and we just kind of do whatever feels good in the moment. And for him, that was sitting by a tree. Uh, there's a song by um, 21 Pilots. has a, a verse in it that says this. Uh, Death inspires me like a dog inspires a rabbit. Right? Death inspires like a dog inspires a rabbit. So to me, that's a different kind of... Motivation, right? So like survival motivation. Uh, and in my mind, that is on the other end of the spectrum where it's actually a false sense of urgency. I mean, in that case, really you need to be urgent, but it's very frenetic and you're just doing everything you can to, to figure things out. In the life of the church, I think that takes shape in how we might try and do a lot of things in a lot of different ways, trying to make things happen um, when really it's not. God producing that effort, and uh, we see, that's when we see, I think, burnout, people getting burned out in ministry, because there's a lot of high activity, uh, but not a lot of productivity, or not a lot of fruit to the effort, and so we really need a true sense of urgency, and a true sense of urgency understands that there, there's a critical moment at hand, that we are in a crucial time, but it couples that with a plan, a strategy that... Uh, has a purpose and is focused and coordinated. And I think that's partly what Peter gives us here in the following verses in the meat of this passage. And so we're using this as a foundation that we, that we need to have this true sense of urgency, and then Peter gives us some ideas on how we can make that happen. So, sense of urgency. We want to have a game plan for being all in down the home stretch. Therefore... 
because the end is near, because we're in the home stretch, be alert and sober-minded for prayer. We get this idea, we got this idea in week one of the series, way back when we looked at uh, chapter one, where Peter said, therefore, with your minds ready for action, be sober-minded and set your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So we have this idea twice that we want to be sober-minded, ready for action. Um, And so the idea of being sober-minded, right, carries with it the idea of, uh, if you think purely on an intoxication level of uh, alcohol or drugs, certainly there's that connotation. Uh, But the world is constantly drawing our attention away from God to other things, right? I don't know what what things in your life draw your attention from God. Um, but for me, uh, oftentimes it's media. Um, I was telling the guys in our Forge group a couple weeks ago, like lately just YouTube, like just goofy basketball videos or whatever. It's just kind of my mind is other places. And so to really focus in and, uh, um, and be sober-minded instead of intoxicated by the things of this world. Uh, so when we look at the end of this verse, we want to be alert and sober-minded for prayer. And that stuck out to me uh, for a couple of reasons. One, because it's kind of first on the list. Um, it seems very important to Peter that prayer is valued highly. And it was kind of a gut check for me, I think, to just really think about how, how much do I value prayer. If I'm supposed to be alert and sober-minded for some purpose, typically, you know, if being alert and sober-minded means I got to sacrifice other things and stay focused, I better really want what's ahead, right? If I'm going to be motivated to to commit to being sober-minded and alert in that way, so what is prayer for you? How does that? How does prayer sit for you? Is it something that you really value and you look forward to and you cherish? Or is it something you know you're supposed to do, you feel bad when you don't do it, it's kind of a checklist thing? So just think about that. Certainly, the people that Peter is writing to had an understanding that access to God through prayer, personal relationship, conversation with God, was a special thing. Because uh, some of them didn't know what it was like until they got saved. Well, none of us know what that's like until Christ comes into our life, right? Um, But even still, Peter gives them the warning. Even for those that were closer to the time of Christ than we are, uh, they, they needed to be reminded of this too. And I just think that's all the more important for us to think of. So if we're going to keep our minds alert and sober-minded for prayer, we're going to keep our heads in the game. So that's step one. That's lesson one from Peter. Keep your head in the game through prayer. The next lesson we get is to keep your heart in the game through love. And the way I see it, this is all about relationships within the church. Above all, maintain constant love for one another, since love covers a multitude of sins. Now we get, uh, we can go all the way back to the beginning of God's story to... uh, remember what this is like, or to see what this is like. If you remember back in the Garden of Eden, God had created everything. He created Adam and Eve. He gave them a very, well, he gave them everything they needed, and they decided that they needed a little bit more 
than what he had allowed for them. And so they took and ate the fruit of the tree that they weren't supposed to eat from. And immediately, their eyes were opened to their nakedness, and they felt shame. And so what do they do? What most of us do, or a lot of times we do when we sin and we're, we feel shame, we try and hide, right? We isolate ourselves. We don't talk to people. We try and get away. So that's what they did. Adam and Eve tried to cover themselves with some fig leaves, and they went and hid. God came looking for them, and they tried to hide from God, but who can hide from God, right? So God finds them out, and uh, that's when we see the first uh, death, or the first animal sacrifice, when God clothed them uh, his way through animal skin or with animal skins, and uh, which required a sacrifice. And so there we start the long period of the sacrificial system, which ultimately culminated in the death of Jesus on the cross, right, for our sins. And so uh, we have this example of, first, people in their sin isolating themselves, trying to hide it. Uh, But God coming in and covering it with his work, with his love. And so then we... As we, as we look at that example, we can apply that uh, to our relationships. So one thing to note is that you could read this and say, then think, love covers a multitude of sins. Okay, so it doesn't matter how much bad stuff I do. As long as I do a little bit more good and I'm loving to people, then I'm covered, right? And a lot of people in the world today believe that and, and live that way. Uh, but we know that's not true. It's, so this is not... Uh, an encouragement to cover up your sin and make yourself look pretty. But instead, it's to live uh, through sin with people, to lead people, come alongside, show them the path to forgiveness, to confession and repentance, so that Jesus can cover their sin, right? So that Jesus' love would cover our sin. So to maintain constant love for one another is huge. Practically speaking, one of the ways we see that succeed and fail in the life of the church is through communication. We talk a lot about how love is an action, or maybe you've heard love is a verb. Um, But we can succeed or fail at love by the way we use our words, right? The way we communicate. I can tell you from being married, um, as a good example of communication where I've succeeded and failed, right? I can tell you from the workplace where that's happened. I can tell you uh, in leadership of the church, of involved church, we continually come back to communication, 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 because when we say something we don't mean, or we say something that gets understood a different way, uh, people perceive it differently. How you react when those communication lines aren't clear tells a lot about how you are loving the people in the church. So all to say... I think what Peter's going at here is we want to lead in our relationships with love. And that comes from the heart. How we're connected to God will pour out in our relationships. So we want to lead with love. And so that is uh, how, we, how we express this from our heart. Uh, there is a proverb that helps understand this too. 17.9 from, from Proverbs says, Whoever conceals an offense promotes love. But whoever gossips about it separates friends. That's just a very practical example from the Proverbs that illustrates how this can work out in the life of the church. And if we think about, you can ask, okay, well, what's all this 
stuff in the church, how does that impact the world? Well, we know from John chapter 13, where Jesus gives this commandment. He said, I give you a new command, love one another. Just as I have loved you, you are also to love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. So, where's your heart at? How is your, how is your heart engaged in the life of the church? What's your communication been like lately? Have you been struggling? Um, is, it, is it on point? And so, is your heart in the game, so to speak, uh, is the question there. So that's step two, or, or lesson two. Keep your head in the game, keep your heart in the game, and lastly, keep your hands in the game. And this is where we see some examples from Peter on how we can really uh, engage uh, with hands-on in the life of the church. So first off, be hospitable to one another without complaining. Man, if it didn't say without complaining. I don't know if that would really count as hospitality, but uh, be hospitable to one another without complaining. Um, it's really actually pretty personal to me. I feel like Rachel and I, and my wife Rachel and I, feel like we uh, have been gifted by God to be hospitable to people. It's just one of those things that we feel more comes more naturally. Partly for me, it's because when I was growing up, my mom was pretty hospitable, and we had people in our, our living in our house from time to time. Um, but I do think there's uh, just one of the graces God has given me personally to be able to open my life and my home. And so I think we figured out, you know, there hasn't been a 12-month period since we've been married, um, and we've been married for 14 years, that no 12-month period have we lived uh, together where we didn't have somebody living with us. And so it's just kind of been not not totally an open-door policy, but pretty regular that we have somebody living in our home. And when we started doing that, um, it really was people from the church or people that we knew uh, college students at times, younger families moving into the area, um, families that were building a home, uh, things like that. And uh, about two years ago, we decided, you know what, we have some extra space, and we've heard of this Airbnb thing, so let's try that out. Um, I don't know if you, know, if you make money, if you, if you go commercial, does that count as hospitality? They call it hospitality business, so I don't know. Um, but uh, that lasted, and, and we, we had fun with that. We met tons of people. Uh, we were renting out three rooms and had, uh, oftentimes there'd be like a two-week period where we had a different person in each room every night. So in two weeks, I'm spitting all of this. <laughs> in two weeks, we had like uh, 20 different people in our house, you know, just kind of coming through and going. And some people ask us like, you guys are crazy. Like, how, how could you do that? And so we kind of, we tried to set it up so it was pretty separate and, it, you know, there was no interface with our kids. So we had some safeties in there, but um, we, had, we met some really interesting people. And it's, even when you're charging money for space, when things like towels and, and pillowcases and things just start disappearing because people take whatever or they put it in their stuff, you know, um, over time, you feel like there's a lot of reasons you could complain and, uh, uh, maybe about a year ago, we started a relationship with a guy that started as a guest, and uh, he was there for just one week. He actually, uh, anyway, and after that week was done, he asked if he could go on a cash basis because we were doing everything online, cash basis, mainly because uh, some things we found out later that 
he couldn't do the online stuff. Um, but we were open, and he said, yeah, sure, we'll do that. And then about a week later, it was, I don't really have any money, so can I just, like, do some work for you? Okay, so we work out an arrangement. And uh, then it became, you know, I was really not doing any work, but he really needed a place to stay. He was hurting, and we felt like it was an opportunity to show the grace of God to him. And so uh, that's one big way where we've been able to show hospitality. Um, long story with that particular friend of ours that, that we've come to know over the last year, but he is uh, uh, about, uh, I'll just say about two months ago, he was arrested at our house for some things he had done in the past. Um, and so I've been able to stay in contact with him, though, uh, at the jail. I actually have a video visit with him later tonight, so... You know, appreciate your prayer for that, how that goes. I met with him in person at the facility uh, about a week and a half ago, and he asked me to lead him through a Bible study. Uh, So uh, I'm excited for what God's doing in his heart, and is an opportunity that came because we chose to be hospitable instead of uh, closed door. So uh, that's not to say it's not without risk. There's a lot of weird things I could tell you about um, throughout that process. But uh, anyway... uh, there's always opportunity to complain when you're being hospitable, but when you choose to be hospitable, you're making a choice to put yourself out there. You're making a choice to take some risk personally, um, but that's what it's about, right? It's about sacrificing ourselves for the sake of others. It's exactly what Jesus did, and that's why we do what we do. So being hospitable. Uh, share your life and your resources. The next piece and it comes in the next couple of verses. Just as each one has received a gift, use it to serve others as good stewards of the varied grace of God. I'll just pause there. So a couple of things to note here. Everyone has a gift. If you didn't know that, you know it now. God has given you a gift to be used in his family. And so that's what it says. What do you do with the gift? You use it to serve others. It's not a gift to be used for your own gain. It's not a gift for you to use for your own pride or for your own uh, feeling good about yourself. Um, I think most, a lot of people in the world will use their talents uh, because it makes them feel good. Or they even give back or serve because, why? Because it makes them feel good about themselves. Uh, so we want to be good stewards of this varied grace of God. And I want to pinpoint that word varied because... God's set of gifts are greatly diverse. He is an imaginative God. He's a creative God. He's a God who displays his power and his wonder and his awesomeness in so many different ways. And that includes through his gifts in the church. And there's other passages we could go look at to look at how many different gifts are named in in Scripture alone. Um, But God has given you a gift. And so if you are one who feels like, first of all, I don't even know if I have a gift or I didn't know I had a gift, um, talk to somebody in the church. You know, talk to a leader. Talk to your life group leader. Talk to a friend. Say, hey, I feel like I should be serving. I I don't really know how or where because I don't know what my gift is. Uh, We can help you through that. If you're somebody who thinks, Man, I, th- I do feel like I have a gift, like God's given me something, a way to serve. But when I look around the church, I see a lot of similar gifts, or I don't see where my gift could fit in. Again, reach out, talk to people, talk to a friend, talk to your life group leader, or one of the, the deacons or elders. We can help you 
guide that. We want to see God's gifts explored throughout the, uh, the body of Christ. We know that more gifts is better than less gifts, that God's given them for a reason, and they're to be used in, in the family of God. So I'm going to keep going. Uh, verse 11, if anyone speaks, let it be as one who speaks God's words. What I'm doing today is my, my only hope is to speak what God wants me to speak. And I know that's the desire of all the other guys that get up here and teach on Sunday or our life group leaders that are leading discussions throughout the week. All we want to do is speak God's words. And hopefully that's what's happening today. Um, But I can tell you, it doesn't come naturally always. There's a tendency always to speak my own words. I can tell you that when I previewed what I was going to talk about to these guys in our teaching forum on Thursday, there's a lot of my words in there. It was, it was not good. <laughs> um, and the, but, the, but the beauty of that experience for me was that these guys came around me. They were encouraging and supportive. They gave me ideas, and, and we prayed together. And that's what we get in the life of a church where maybe I felt like I was struggling. I, I know I feel like God's gifted me to teach, and I have an opportunity, uh, but I wasn't completely on point with it. And I had guys to come around me and help me through it. And so I praise God for that. If anyone serves, let it be from the strength God provides. So much of our inadequacy comes from our trying to do things on our own. And so we want to serve with the strength that God provides. Because it's only in his strength that things are going to really point the world to him. So with that leads us really well into our final point. Uh, But just to close that that piece out of keeping your hands in the game, to share your life and resources, and to put your spiritual gifts into God-powered action. Not just into action, not just to do stuff, because you get the idea that we're we're in a critical time, that you have this sense of urgency, um, so you feel like you just got to do stuff. Uh, That's a rabbit running from a dog, right? We want to put our spiritual gifts into God-powered action, God-centered action, so that we really can make God known because that's what we're here for. So in Down the Home Stretch, we are committed such that we are all in for the glory of the one who recruited us, for the glory of the recruiter, for the glory of God. That is why we do all these things, so that God may be glorified through Jesus Christ in everything. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. That's just, it's like a really easy way to finish a sermon, right? (laughs) To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. One more time to look at our theme verse. You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his possession, for his possession, so that you may proclaim the praises of the one who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. So with that, here's the challenge to respond today. Will you be homestretch committed? Will you be committed like you're in the homestretch, like you can see the end is near? Jesus may come back tomorrow. 
or later today or next week or next year. We don't know. But the end is near. Will you keep your head in the game through prayer? Will you keep your head in the game? Are you keeping your heart in the game with love? In your relationships, are you leading with love? Is love how you see people? Is, are you seeing people from your heart rather than from how it makes you feel? Or annoyed? Are you keeping your hands in the game through service, hospitality, using your gifts, using them in the strength of God? And are you going all in for the glory of the recruiter? So we're going to, we've got a couple of questions here we can respond to uh, in keeping with uh, Pastor Ryan's message last week. We're going to give you a couple minutes to respond today. Um, here's a, some questions to think about. What type of urgency are you living within God's family? Are you homestretch committed? How have you been holding back at keeping your head, heart, and hands engaged in God's family? And how can you engage your head, heart, and hands to make God known today? If that urgency is real, it's not a tomorrow thing. It's a, it's a today thing. It's a now thing. How do we respond to that?